Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 447. This is a very special episode for the Sister Wives and I. Uh, We will get to that in a minute. But I would like to say that uh, Matt Meyer and I are going to be doing some stand-up on the road. Well, on the road. It's not really on the road to you guys. It's just on the road to us. With you guys, it's your hometowns. Uh, Minneapolis on Friday, December 6th. And uh, Chicago on Saturday, December 7th. And Seattle on Friday the 13th of December. Go to Nerdist.com slash calendar to get info on that. Uh, we're at Mill City Nights in Minneapolis, Vic Theater in Chicago, and Showbox in Seattle. So there you go. There's that. Um, this episode was brought to you by NatureBox. Uh, we'd like to welcome our new sponsor, NatureBox. They will deliver healthy snacks right to your door and essentially into your mouth, into your waiting mouth. They could technically deliver delicious, healthy snacks. It's a subscription service, and it offers you the ability to discover, enjoy healthy snacks on a monthly basis. All of us right now on the podcast are uh, in a fitness training program. We're not afraid. We're not afraid of you fitness. Uh, And one of the things that's helpful is if you have kind of healthy snacks to to eat throughout the day uh, so you don't gorge yourself uh, in one giant meal. And NatureBox is a perfect solution for for something like this. Uh, They offer wholesome ingredients. It's nutritionist approved, so there's no high fructose corn syrup, there's no partially hydrogenated oils, no trans fat, no artificial sweeteners, no artificial flavors, no artificial colors. They're just delicious, healthy snacks. Each bag has full-size, three to five servings uh, of snack in it, and they offer three different uh, price programs. So, um, you can get the Deluxe Snacker, which is five bags for $19.95, the Happy Snacker, which is 10 bags for $29.95, or a Smart Snacker, which is 20 bags for $49.95. Um, the monthly box always ships for free, with the exception of Hawaii or Alaska. Sorry! If you use the coupon code NERDIST, you're going to get 50% off your first box at naturebox.com, and you're going to support this show. So again, highly, highly, highly recommend delicious, healthy snacks delivered right to your mouth or your door. Technically, your mouth is your body's door. We welcome them to the Nerdist Podcast. And now we welcome you to this particular episode, which is Christopher Lloyd. This is one of those ones we first started the podcast, was always sort of on our uh, on our bucket list of like, wait, someday we... It'd be really awesome if we had Christopher Lloyd. And and we got him on the show. And, uh, of course, we all very much had to temper the the fanboyish stuff. Uh, and, but I feel like we did, I feel like we did a good job. I think, I think we did okay. And he was awesome. And he talked about everything. We got Back to the Future stories. We got Adam's family stories. Uh, we got taxi stories. He talked about Andy Kaufman and, uh, he was all in all just a super sweet guy. I hope you enjoy this as much as we enjoyed doing it. 
Uh, I would like to tell you that uh, Christopher Lloyd has a new show on PBS right now called Cyber Chase. He's the voice of the hacker, and uh, and check that out. It's a it's a, it's a math based show. It's a math based kids uh, animated program. But this is a real based kids and adult kids program. Uh, the Nerdist Podcast number four forty seven with Christopher Lloyd. I am so excited I get to say those words. Now entering Nerdist.com Having a Mel Blanc conversation right now. Uh-huh. Did you ever work with Mel Blanc? No. Did you know him? No. Oh, then this isn't going to go very well. Why his uh, voiceovers, right? Yeah. yeah. So many cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah, all the Warner Brothers stuff, and yeah. he essentially, he essentially just revolutionized that whole that whole industry. But we are here to talk about you. We've already started. Well, was that okay? I never talk about myself. Ever? <laughs> do you not like to talk about yourself? I'm not that kind of guy. What do you want to talk about? Uh, mm, me. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about himself only him. <laughs> maybe it's, maybe we could we could do the thing where we pressure you and you're like I don't want to. Oh no 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 no. Okay. Oh here's your cappuccino. We'll get your cappuccino here and then we'll start. Oh, we'll start gabbing. Did they have caramel? Yes. Wow. Sweet. Incredible. Incredible. It's a good little cafe down there. I wanted one so much. I didn't. I figured that's no way. That'll loosen your tongue. Um. <laughs> Me juice. Good. How is it? Good. Okay, it's good. good. It's good. Good. Well, welcome. It's nice to see you. We are super Thank honored you. to have you on the show. All right. All right. I know we're going to talk about Cyber Chase. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to talk about Cyber Chase on PBS, which is a show you do. But, you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, have come up that are going to come up <laughs> in the process that I'm sure always do. Um, I mean, there are so many different. There's so many different things. I mean, we could devote an episode to each project and just talk about that if you were willing to. But uh, <laughs> So this is the beginning of the 12-part Christopher Lloyd series. You're going to come back every day for 12 days, right? Okay. No, we should all do it all at once. We're at day three of the Christopher Lloyd. Our voices are gone. We haven't let him go. We had to tape him to the chair, but I think, it's, I think he's finally loosening up a little bit. <laughs> I think I saw you at a um, like a, a Wizard World or something, a convention. You were doing signings at a convention a couple of years ago. Oh, probably. Yeah. yeah. Do you get to do? Do you do a lot of the the convention I, circuit? I do some of them. Yeah. Yeah. I do two, three. Uh, they're just signing. Yeah. Com, com cons or something. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Are you used to? You must be used to after all these decades of people freaking out when they come face to face. Some do. <laughs> Some do. Uh, you know, happens. Yeah. I, it's just a, kind of a shock because people have seen people on the, you know, they like to look out on the screen without any real expectation they're ever going to meet them or that they actually exist. You know, and then suddenly they're there and they're like kind of blown away. Did you ever have that about anyone? Yeah. Uh, more than once. I can only think of two instances at the moment. I was I was sitting I was sitting on a stoop in New York, uh, 
that went down a couple of steps, two or three steps into a Japanese restaurant. And I was, it was sunny, and I was like 54th Street or something. And I was sitting there, and then I was, a, like two or three people came over, and I was aware there was like a, sh a huge shadow coming from one person. I looked up. It was Orson Welles. Oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. And he, he, they went into the restaurant, and I couldn't resist. I went in and sat at the sushi bar. They were down, down there just to stare. You know, it was just Orson Welles. I mean, he, like, shook the world, yeah. you know? So. What stage of your career were you at at that point? Would he have recognized you? No. No, I was... Uh, I hadn't done anything on a film. I was just in New York you know, doing theater. Did you talk to him? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what year was this? It was in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, probably the, around mid-60s, later 60s. I mean, we all, have that, we all have that human experience, and it's sort of like what you said. You see someone on a big screen, and you get this expectation, and... Honestly, no matter how much you try to compose yourself or how much you think, I'm yeah. going to say the perfect thing, it uh -huh. just never, like all the words just bottleneck as they come out of your mouth. Right, right. Um, when you started, uh, you, you did a lot of theater in New York yeah. first. Mm -hmm. um, and then Cuckoo's Nest, was that the, fir was that the first yeah. movie? Yeah. Did they see you in a play or did you audition? Or uh, No. Um... Uh, I'd been, I, had, I just had gotten nowhere uh, with film. I wanted to do film. And I didn't want to come to L.A. without having some film, you know, because I'd just be another, another face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I did want to do film, but I, I, uh, and I went in for a lot of films and absolutely nothing, you know, no, no response, no callbacks. You know, all that. So I figured, you know, some actors don't make the transition somehow from the stage to screen. So I figured I may be one of those. And then they came to town, uh, Saul's aunts, Michael Douglas and Miller Foreman, to see people in New York. And over the years, I had a, was familiar with a, um, a casting director in New York. He just had a hunch and he sent me up. And that was that. I mean, DeVito was in that too. DeVito was in that, yep. Did you guys know each other before? No. No. So the taxi thing was a complete coincidence. Oh, ta oh uh, well, Cuckoo's Nest was before taxi. Right, right. But the fact that you both ended oh, up on that show was a complete... Yeah, we were both in, in Cuckoo's Nest. And I don't know if Danny had anything to do by getting into taxi. I, I've never asked him. Not, <laughs> I have no idea. But we both, there we were. And, and Vincent Schiavelli. Oh, Vincent Schiavelli, too. He was yeah. also Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Oh, wow. and, and then in, in taxi. Was uh, when you got uh, Cuckoo's Nest, like, the, did you have representation from being a theater actor, or did you just have the personal relationships with the uh, casting director? Uh, I didn't have representation in New York until almost before I left, and it was very sketchy. It was, you know, I just couldn't, <laughs> see, I couldn't see to pick up an agent. Yeah. And I sent every, I, I did a lot of workshops off, 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 off Broadway continually. Sometimes I was doing two or three at a time. And for every one, I'd send out pictures 
update a resume to every age listed. I had the, the thing with all yeah. that. Nothing. Huh. Absolutely nothing. And then, uh, but I started getting work in theater, so. No, I really wasn't signed. When I came out to, L I came out to LA, which kind of, um, I got a letter from an agent here. Well, after Cuckoo's Nest came out, because I went back to New York after we shot Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Say that if I ever came to town huh. here, he'd like to see me have lunch. He didn't make an offer or anything like that. It was casual. So that was 1976. So I came out, we had lunch, and I've been signed with him ever since. Oh, Go same away. guy. Must <laughs> <laughs> have been good lunch. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but when Taxi started, you were just a, you were essentially a guest star. Jimmy Jimmy oh, yeah. was just a guest star. Yeah, but I mean, I re I'm old enough to have watched. I watched Taxi in first run, and uh, yeah, it was. I think it was pretty clear right away. Like, oh shit, who's that guy? Uh, and then and then season two, you were just a regular. You were regular on the yeah. show. Was it really just going to be like an episode? As far as I know, I don't know what they may have had mind, but that's all I expected. And then after. Uh, we shot it. It seemed like something was in the air. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you see that? Did you see sitcoms as essentially an extension of theater at that point? I didn't want to do a sitcom. Really? I did not want to do a sitcom. I had a bit of an attitude, I have to admit. You know, being a New York theater actor. Yeah. And in that, in that time, I don't know how, I don't think it matters anymore, but back then, if you were a theater actor and you went to Hollywood, you were fucking selling your soul. <laughs> you know, it, it really, I mean, when I first came out here, there was an actor, a friend of mine, who uh, hated Hollywood, anything California. He was like a total New York person and theater. But he'd come out here for six months to make enough money to do theater work back in New York for the rest of the year and he hated the, 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 you know, and he'd get into hot arguments and, and nearly fist fights because he, he'd attack the new, because I, I, I would go out with him and we'd go to parties uh, with New York people who are out here, New York people and, and, and if he heard somebody start praising L.A. <laughs> that was it. And he was, he was very, very bright, educated, and articulate, and uh, uh, vehement. He just, like, lit, lit into him, you know. And it would get hot, this dichotomy of New Yorkers, you know. So I didn't, I wasn't about to, and that was the ultimate sellout, sitcoms. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny is I, I feel like there is a little bit of it, and I think it's cooled off some, but yeah. I still sense this rivalry between New York and L.A., which I think is more on the New York side than the L.A. side. <clears throat> Probably. And you hear, you hear people... L.A. never had a soul in the first place. <laughs> they didn't have a soul, so they don't... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my, my, theory, my theory about it is that I feel like a lot of cities have rivals with L.A., and L.A. is sort of like that clueless valley girl that does, it's just thinking about itself, so uh -huh. it has no idea that there are rivalries with other people. Because it's, right. it's yeah. just it's looking in the mirror and going, no, it's just, oh, am I fat? You know, like that's all. That's all. Yeah, hey, we're too preoccupied enjoying the weather. That's true. It's kind of right. nice. But what I find is that you know the same the same people that do shit on LA are always, are always like, 
yeah, but I'm going to go out there for pilot season. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, you're still coming out here. Uh, right. You can't yeah. hate it that much, you know. Well, they probably hate it because they, they feel they have to be out here. To, like your friend, like he probably resented it to, to do what he wanted to do. He had to come out here to make money. Yeah. And that yeah. probably just added to just like, it's like, I have to be here. Ugh, yeah. the worst. Well, you also have to keep in mind that in the 70s too, it was really, that was sort of the the, the, the television revolution of, of, of really kind of more realistic grounded shows like the Norman Lear and James uh-huh. Brooks like all those shows those didn't exist before that so sitcoms were very much like it's a, everything's a perfect silly world you know yeah so it really wasn't uh, until like you know the all in the families and the taxis of the world yeah. that sitcoms actually became like a real art yeah, form that's right so when you when you uh, and taxi by the way I think of Taxi as running as long as Cheers, but it was only on for like five, five seasons. Five seasons. And two different networks, right? And two different networks, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, was, it was dropped from the first network. I forget. I, I, I think it was ABC and then it went to NBC. Yeah. It was dropped from ABC. And um, one thing, that they hadn't done 100 shows yet, so they weren't eligible for... Syndication. Syndication. So, uh, I, and what I... Heard what apparently while that HBO offered to do twelve one-hour shows with no censorship, something like that, and it had to be unanimous consent from the cast and all. And I don't know if it ever came up to a vote, but then NBC stepped in. Oh, oh wow! That would have been and picked it up. It's kind of it's kind of weird to hear HBO doing that back in the seventies, which is effectively yeah. what they ended up doing. That's what they do now. Yeah, yeah. But that at would the time, have been incredible though. Like I imagine it would have got a lot darker. Maybe, but I I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it could have. It could have. Been yeah. fun. Uh, you know, it was intriguing. I would have America would have been ready for that yet? Do you think they still would have kept it? <laughs> would they have still kept it in the multicam format? Do you think? I think that was the idea. Yeah. I'm not sure. Just wow. We were we were all when NBC picked it up. That's the right network, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were all invited on the on the Saturday night show, the whole cast. And um, in the show, <laughs> they had a set that that somehow was like a projection of the was it CBS that had Taxi or yes. initially? Oh, was it CBS? I said ABC. It might have been CBS or, or ABC. Yeah, say ABC. They had a projection upon. <laughs> Up on a like a screen of the ABC building on Sixth Avenue, and then they had a little uh, one of those boxes with a thing that you plunge. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Danny DeVito came on stage, and fun, and the projection fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> kind of fun. <laughs> was it a fun show to do? Do you think of it fondly, or was Taxi? it? Yeah, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. I mean, the cast was amazing. Um, great writers. Uh, the whole spirit of the thing with um, Brooks and, and Ed Weinberger. I mean, it was great. It, and Sam was Simon. Great. I was I was so amazed when I when I was and who Sam Simon. Sam Simon, yeah. yeah. And watching rehearsals initially, I thought, fuck, you know, in New York they're talking about ensembles. And how to create an ensemble? And an ensemble was the the peak of the art form. <laughs> These guys were doing it, you know. Uh, Judd Hirsch and Danny and Tony Danza, Mary Lou, 
Um, Jesus. Andy Kaufman was that? Andy Kaufman. And Bob, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, passed away not too long ago. Oh, Jeff Conaway. Jeff Conaway. And and, the, and it was just a, a great group. Yeah. Uh, it... Uh, did you sense at the time that it, did you start to warm up to television a little bit after a season or two and go, oh, it's not so bad. It's yeah, not so bad. You know, definitely. I mean, I just, I, and, and a, lot, a lot of them were New York people. Um, um, I have a terrible time with names, which are embarrassing. The director. Oh, James Brooks? James Brooks. I mean, he's had a New York theater background with his dad and. Danny was from New York, so I was from New York. It really was theater. I mean, like, it was it was essentially, they almost never, you guys almost never left. Yeah. The, 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 you never left that, that taxi stand. I mean, you almost never left that, that garage. Yeah. Occasionally. Except for the one, the one episode where we got your backstory, and I think you, were, I think Ignatowski was at Harvard, uh, yeah, and his girlfriend yeah. convinced him to have like one pot brownie, <laughs> and then your your transformation from that to the Reverend Jim face, like in a second, was fucking amazing. Where did that guy? Where did he come from? Where did where did Jim come from? Um, I I don't I don't know. I just sort of I when I was going up to to meet. The guys. Um, I had a friend who lived in Laurel Canyon who was cleaning out the bushes around his house and found that jacket with a peace sign, faded, beat up jacket. I had faded, beat up jeans, an ex father in law's sneakers, which were all worn out. I just put it all on. But it was funny because during we'd have hiatuses or breaks, and sometimes I'd come back and I couldn't get. Get Jim uh, Ignatowski back. Really? You know, I'd be like kind of finding it, you know? Yeah. And I guess we'll always get there eventually. But I, I realized that the thing that popped me back into it was thinking about my older brother. I had a brother who was 22 years that I, from, I mean, he's passed away, but he. Never smoked, drank, nothing. Straight. But he had always, it looked on his face kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I, everything would click in. <laughs> Did he know? Did he ever I know? sent him a, somebody drew a, a thing of, a portrait of Reverend Jim, and I sent it to him, and I thanked him. <laughs> but I never got a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so I look like that, do I? <laughs> so then, uh, you know, very few people at that time, because television was very much a different world from film, and television stars very rarely ever made the jump to film, and uh, you were able to you were able to do that. Yeah, I'm, 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 I think it's funny, because I had Cuckoo's Nest, and a very, it was a very successful film before I had Taxi Earth, so I think that helped. You know, I had that as validation that I, I could do film work. I don't know. It, it uh, I was kind of surprised about the amount of film work I, I was getting, cause, and sometimes I was bewildered about what they saw in me that they 
asked me to do the parts I did. You know, I was just like, hmm. Still puzzles me a little bit. <laughs> well, I think I think I think <laughs> I think you know if you're the if you're the main lead on a show and you're like the lead guy, I think film kind of goes, oh well, do we just make? I don't think they have an imagination in terms of what to do with that. But Jim was such a strong character uh-huh. that I think it's sort of I think they pretty much they realize pretty quickly that they could put you into something and you could disappear into. I mean, like seeing you in fucking in, uh, uh, Star Trek Three. And and not re- and then at first going that looks familiar and then hearing your voice and going go I think that's Christopher Lloyd like how did I, you I never understood how that because that was like offered outright I didn't audition for it I don't think but I thought where did this come from <laughs> <laughs> where what do they they see that I don't know about or something you know I guess I need to know myself better <laughs> I get more work but yeah that. Uh, happened a few times. As you uh, continued on, like after Taxi, did you find that as people who you know loved Taxi grew up and into positions where they were making stuff or making the decisions to cast stuff, like did you, did you find that fans of yours were starting to hire you for stuff? Um, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, not that, not that. I could. Well, in a certain sense, maybe eventually, but I think at the time um, they weren't. <laughs> Maybe they were fans. I didn't know it, but they weren't people I knew yeah. personally. They just sort of came up. The, the whole Star Trek thing is kind of funny to me because essentially you had pretty much no interaction with anyone else because you were just basically on the de- you were on the bridge of the Klingon war the entire movie pretty right. much. So they really probably. I assume they just kind of shot you off by yourself, and then shot the rest of the movie with Shatner and everyone else. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I wasn't in except the the fight with Shatner at the end, and uh, that was about it. Were you a Star Trek fan before then? No, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't an anti Star Trek. Well, I just had never gotten into it. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Are you? Uh, What's sort of your what's your kind of work ethic? I mean, do you do you go out looking for stuff or do you what's your you know, like do you um, I don't know, I pretty much depended on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> you know, for for people to call up. I, I when I was in New York uh, I don't know, I just I've never been, like walked into an office and had the feeling of people sitting around there are impressed. <laughs> you know, like I walk in, okay, they talk to me, whatever, I walk out and I, I've never felt that I, you know, electrified the place. But that's how, I feel like that's how the audition process is. I feel like when you feel, oh, I think I killed it, then yeah. you leave and they're like, well, oh, we're going in another uh, direction. Uh, audition sometimes, I, I would know whether I, it really worked or not. I may not have been what they were looking for, but I, I, you know, I, I nailed it on my own terms, but it wasn't exactly what they were looking for. I've had, I've, and that's a good feeling, you know, whether you get it or not. It's nice to know that you hit a home run, yeah. if, <laughs> if, uh, you know, like you had the ability to, yeah, right yeah. It. So that that's, that was a good feeling, but I, I didn't really get into that until I came out, came out here from New York. Did you audition for Back to the Future, or did Zemeckis offer it to you? Um, I think it was kind of an offer. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> I uh, told a story a few times. I'm kind of embarrassed every time I tell it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I was doing a f- film in Mexico, like in Mexico City or various areas, and Bob Bob Gersh, my agent, yeah, of <laughs> some time, he sent me the script of for Back to the Future to take a look at and read it and then come back and meet Bob Zemeckis. I didn't know anything about Bob Zemeckis. Never heard of him. And at the same time, I got an offer to go to back east to do a play about Hans Christian Andersen. I was going to be Hans Christian Andersen and Colleen Dewhurst was going to be my mother at the Long Wharf Theater in, in New Haven, Connecticut. And I had I was skeptical about having come out to LA, and I'm thinking, I thought about my I got to go back to my roots, <laughs> you know, I got to go back where essentially I belong. And I was beginning to work a lot in New York, working a lot in the theater, and I had feelings like I came out because when I first came out here, Taxi didn't come up right away. I think I went for about eight months zilch and everything and I thought fuck you know <laughs> I, I got things rolling in New York I come out here I've lost momentum there nothing's happening here and all that so I had some you know so this play came up and I thought that's what I gotta do that's what I gotta do <laughs> I got the script and I had a girlfriend with me at the time uh, and I took the script and I put it in the trash can I just like that, and she, <laughs> and she'd always heard me say it because I was pretty zealous about getting work that I never leave a stone unturned if there was anything vaguely possible in a, in, a, in among the characters in a in a player script I'd go check it out. You know, I didn't care whether I lived on 107th Street and, and Riverside. I go all the way down to the Bowery for a rainy day (laughs) and stand in line and and see what happens. And she said, you always, that's, you know, that's your mantra. And I thought, you know, she's right. So I picked it up. I looked at it. I went back, (laughs) came back here. I sat down with Zemeckis and that was it. I mean, he just, I had, I really, really liked him. I still do. He's wonderful. And I just felt, Okay. I saw it, and, and the play bombed. <laughs> <laughs> so in an alternate universe, you're, you're, you're like, God damn it! Why did I take that play? <laughs> did you know, I mean, when you were, well, actually, because you guys had, you started, there was the, there were, there were the Eric Stoltz months, oh, yeah. and then stopped, and then get, did it feel like, oh, this film's never going to get made, or it's too complicated, or people aren't going to get it? No, I, I mean, uh, Eric Stoltz, um, he, you know, he's a wonderful actor. And, and I had no idea. I had no idea that was happening. Uh, we were six weeks shooting. And then one night, like one of them in the morning on a rainy night of a uh, city of industry, that parking lot there, and we have our, you know, one o'clock lunch or dinner, whatever you call it. And then we were told all to come to a certain area of the parking lot and there was going to be a meeting and they announced it and Spielberg was there and, and, and they t- announced it 
I had no idea. I had no premonition that it was going to happen. And it was very sad because he wasn't being fired because he was a bad actor or he didn't do it well. He was wonderful. But they wanted somebody with a kind of lightness, a comic flair. And they felt that they had they had to do that, that the f film demanded it. So in came Michael. And I thought, fuck! You know, I spent six years, uh, six years, <laughs> six weeks sweating, sweating it with every single take, wondering whether I was cutting it, you know, whether I was really... And I thought, I'll never be able to sum that up again. <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking, you know, they didn't have to cut, they didn't have to... Um, there's some stuff they could use, but it worked out fine. Nice. Yeah, and, and, and Michael's energy and, and personality, the chemistry was always, we always had, from the get-go, great chemistry. I mean, it was, it was not something that had to, we had to work for. But it was very sad for uh, Eric Stoltz. Yeah, I mean, I've seen clips of that stuff, and it's, yeah, he, like, he, he's, he is playing it darker. He seems to be kind of a more smaller. More serious. He's yeah, a little more, yeah. He was a little more serious. Yeah, yeah it's such a weird, it, and, you know, it's like Michael J. Fox is great at that, and it seems like you guys have that rapport as well, but yeah. it's just insane. That's the way it worked out. Well, especially, you know, it's interesting because a movie like that and a, a, character, a character like Doc is, could potentially be a really, really big character. Like, how do you know? I mean, at the time you're shooting that, are you going, is this, is this too much? Is this not enough? Or what is the, did it just kind of feel like it all I, made sense? Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt where the energy um, was with him. So, you know, he had his ups and downs, and, you know. <laughs> you know, he had a very moments in his relationship with Clara. Yeah. And uh, those, he had a little despair there. And the blowing up the whole space-time continuum. Yep. Pretty serious. <laughs> <laughs> Did you even know? So when you so the first movie, I, I remember as a kid, I saw that movie. I don't know six or eight times in the uh -huh. theater. Back, that was really it was really sort of back before you'd be like, oh, I'll wait till home video. I was like, I have to see this now as many times as possible. Uh -huh. And uh, did you? Did they did they sign you on immediately for the trilogy, or did they do the first one? Because now they would just they automatically sign people up for trilogies, um, or did they come back, or did you kind of go, shit, this is a really big deal, maybe we're going to do more of these? I don't remember that anything specific was said. I mean, maybe Michael knew, or the powers that be had a whole, you know. But I, I didn't. I don't think I remember hearing anything specific about a second one until uh, some time later. Um, I mean, the, 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 when Back to the Future 1 opened, it, it was a great opening, you know. So that kind of assured there'd be a sequel. But I didn't, I wasn't in the bag, as far as I knew, up until up until then. And then they, were they going to do Back to the Future 2? And they started doing 2. <laughs> I don't know what kind of games were going on. It was a pretty thick script. And then suddenly they're talking about, we're going to do two and three together. Uh -huh. And we had about a three-week, you had to do two and then three. You couldn't, 
even if it was the same set, the same actors, you could not do a scene from three. Like you do a scene from two and then do the scene from three, that would, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was a union, some kind of union thing where that, that could not be done. So it was two and then three immediately after. And they released them within a couple months of each other too. When they came out, it was a this, couple of months before they did. Uh, yeah, they did this kind of strange thing that had the preview for it at the end of at the end of two, yeah. and then yeah, it was like November they 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 ran two, and then like in the spring they released three because they mm-hmm. they shot them. I guess they got shot everything at once, yeah. and so they uh, they just they released them essentially back to back. Huh. I'm maybe hoping that you know, like, oh, this will just people just wait a couple months and then go saying, I, I guess it, I guess it probably, I guess it probably worked. Did you notice? Did you feel any difference between? Did you notice any difference between Doc from one, two, and three? Did there was it pretty much the same guy? To I you? thought it was, you know, the same guy. I felt like the same, the same, yeah, the same kind of urgency in all of them. Everything was always urgent. Yeah, <laughs> but it was never like. A day when he woke up and just you know, sat under the tree and had a mid-jewel. <laughs> there was a crisis. It was constant crisis. Even hanging the clock. Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was always stuff, you know, urgencies all the time. Is it, uh, as a performer, is it kind of... St- I, I, I remember talking to Eric Geidel once when he was on the podcast about Python, and he was like, that was, you know, we only did that for a couple of years, you know, and but people still want to, you know. Python? Monty Python. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. So for you, it, is it like, well, yeah, I worked on this thing for a handful of months, but now, you know, people always want to talk about that thing or, you know. Uh-huh. You, you probably, you obviously don't foresee that when you're doing it. You think, oh, this is a job, I would right. imagine. But is that sort of a dream to have, or is it, or is it sometimes it's like, ah, you know, I'm going to... A dream to have what? That forever people are going to be like, Back to the Future, Doc Brown, Back to the Future. Well, I kind of think Back to the Future is sort of exceptional because it, it's, it's appealed to so many generations. You know, kids that saw it when it came out initially have grown up and had children who are seeing it again. And it's like, it just keeps on going, you know? And and I, everybody that I run into, they they'll one of the first things they'll say is, "We have watched that film three hundred times, or something like that." It's just really grabbed people's imaginations, and it, it's uh, so people are coming up all the time, you know, um, generations of them, you know. You've managed to work on several movies that all hold up like a lot of movies that when from when we're younger you watch them again and you're like oh it didn't really hold up but back to the future holds up roger rabbit way holds up uh-huh. adam's the sequel to adam's family was hilarious adam's family values i think is one of the best comedies of all time yeah, um but all of these movies all these movies hold up are you do you consider it like well i guess it was lucky that i worked with all these great people like do you do you do you have any hand? You must have a hand in that somehow. I mean, these these movies are. Um, I don't know. I just I'm I feel very fortunate to be, be asked to be in them, and give it the best that you give it. You know, um, but I've always been aware that certain films I've done are kind of classics. Certainly, uh, Roger Rabbit. I mean, reviving all those cartoon characters and the whole premise of it. 
Adam's family, <laughs> you know, and and um, uh, Star Trek. I mean, they all had, they were like big films in a way, not just budgets or whatever, but con conceptually. And, uh, and certainly Back to the Future. But I was, I was aware of that. I mean, I'm still looking for another one. <laughs> <laughs> were you enjoying it at the time? Yes. I mean, it was, it was work. And I, I, but I, I just loved doing all those characters. All those characters are so fabulous, if you don't mind my saying so. No, they yeah. are. I mean, Judge Doom, fuck. Quote of the week on AV Club. The ultimate, the ultimate bad guy, you know. It's not a decent, I mean, he's just so evil. Kids come up to me now, or, or grown-ups, when I take the shoe and I put it into the <laughs> yeah. They tell how when they were kids, it horrified them. They yeah. cried, went crazy when I when the but and the turn too is horrifying what? to this day. They're like when you finally reveal that you're oh, a tune, yeah, it's yeah. just the the voice and the eyes. It's just uh, I mean, well, it was just such fun. That was probably like, it was a lot of work, but I I mean, it was just that's, that's yeah, it's like a dream to be able to get a roles like that in a film that's going to go out and not, you know, disappear. It's, you know, I, you know, I've had my share of them, and I'm very grateful. I mean, you were essentially acting to almost nothing the entire time, right? I mean, everything else yeah. was... Bob Hoskins, all, he, he had to act to nothing all, all the time, <laughs> yeah. more than any of us, without rabbit. <laughs> without friggin' rabbit. And he, he was, like, going nuts. He, he was waking up at night... Uh, fighting with the rats. <laughs> he really, he was going berserk, you know. <laughs> he was a poor guy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was cool. But you didn't, I mean, for, to go from a movie like that into the Adams Family, which again was another, like a real ensemble. Mm -hmm. An ensemble yeah. of... It was great. Yeah, that was a great... After, after we been shooting for a while and we were like a family the oddest family in the world but we we were not dysfunctional in our own <laughs> terms you know what I mean we you're creepy kooky yeah we were a family <laughs> how did you uh, I mean obviously you know you had the TV series to kind of go off a little bit but you guys you guys you guys gave those characters a little more soul than they had you know mm -hmm. in the TV show which was yeah. essentially just a you know a sitcom still a fun right. sitcom yeah but, um, you know, what was it that sort of, what did you see in Fester where you're like, oh, I think I, you know, I, I think I see the piece of that guy. I grew up on Fester. My family subscribed to the New Yorker magazine and it had, you know, this, uh, it's got a lot of cartoons in it. Yeah. And Charles Adams was a contributor. So that every issue of the New Yorker magazine had a Charles Adams cartoon, not always dealing with a family, with Adams family, but Fester pretty regularly came up. And I, and as a kid growing up, every week it would come to the house. I'd be, you know, see if it was Uncle Fester. And uh, there's just something that really appealed to him. 
this kind of mischievousness, slightly evil. He wasn't a, he wasn't a terrible bad guy, but he was he, he fucked with people yeah. a little bit or do, do stuff that was not. He was you know like the, the fence that has like spear heads yeah. that go down, and he'd be on a ladder filing them <laughs> and doing gleefully and kind of doing stuff like that. So, like, decades later, I get a call to do Uncle Fester. And, um, and I thought, this is unbelievable. But at the same time, I thought, how? Because he's a sight gag. He's round, kind of stubby with a round, bald head. And we worked that all out. But at first, I thought, how does this work? Because I don't look like him at all. But... Do you, do you like to, um, do you riff and improvise on the set or do you like to kind of know exactly what you're doing before you, before you go on? Um, there's a little trial and error. Um, I know with Fester, I, did, I was very concerned about how he sounded because you never hear him in the cartoon. <laughs> in the comic strip, you don't know uh, what he sounds like. So I was very concerned about that, about finding a voice, a manner of speaking that, seem to fit but um, getting used to moving around a lot of the characters do they start with voice for you because when I think of when I think of Reverend Jim and I think of Fester and I think of Doc and I think of uh, the, the Klingon like all of them a lot of the power of the character really comes from the, the different subtle ways that you affect your voice um, I don't really th- I, I think about the voice, but I, th- I, th- I th- uh, think about the most is what does this guy look like, and um, that's and then the other, and then that that to me is the first thing I usually think of. What does he look like? What is he wearing? And how does that like? I'll, I've gone as, gone for costume fittings, and I'm still kind of un, uncertain what I'm after. And they'll have selections to try on, and it'll suddenly lock into place. I put something on or whatever, and it just gives a feeling that I—that's it. But I don't—I don't think of voice. I, I think of a voice and what kind of, but um, I'm, that's not the first thing I think of. That sounds like theater background. That sounds like the yeah. background. Just the yeah. costuming department and yeah. like, oh, we're going to, we have to visually build the character first and then the character can come out of, right. the character just lives based on, you know, what you're seeing in the, yeah. in the mirror. Did you have a good, uh, did you have a good barometer for, or even, did you even care about whether a movie was going to be huge or not? Like, was there one where you go, oh, this movie's going to be huge and then it didn't pan out as big as the other ones? Or did you not, do you not think about that stuff? Um, I've never been that secure I guess <laughs> to, um, I mean I didn't things seem to be rolling along pretty well with Back to the Future 1 you know they just kind of sense that people aren't beginning to go crazy because they think they have a but um, I don't know It's I don't think too much about that but I mean I've, I've done a lot of independent films that I don't think are ever going to be heard of again once we wrapped them. But there are, 
of, of two or three that I feel might have a shot at having a real run, you know. They're not, they're not there yet. They're still in post-production. But I, I th so yeah, I could kind of try to gauge it. Yeah. You know, or guess it. I remember Back to the Future before the Back to the Future one, uh, what, what's his name? Huey Lewis? Yeah, Huey Lewis. Huey yeah. And we had a night when we all went up um, somewhere in California, up around San Francisco somewhere, in a studio to, 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 uh, to tape or whatever, a soundtrack mm -hmm. or whatever, you know. And, um, and we, it was like an all-night thing, playing his band, playing the music. And I remember he, uh, he kind of sidled over to, you know, uh, some of the cast, Michael and myself, and saying that, and he kind of just sort of sauntered over, and he says, and he just wanted to get get a, an indication, and he said, is this, is this going to do anything? <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was so wonderful. It was very honest. You know, what, what am I working on here? <laughs> <laughs> and he certainly fared well, wrote great music. Oh, he did, yeah. 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 He did all right. Oh, yeah. And he's a nice guy, too. That, um, was, that was sort of my, my generation's first taste at... Um, you know, well, I guess it was around the time Ghostbusters was '84. Uh, that was '80. Uh, that was '85. But the idea of a franchise really being a franchise across all platforms—it was like a huge movie, and then the soundtrack was enormous, and then like, <laughs> and they would make music videos with scenes from the movie, yeah. and then play the songs, and like, it really was. I mean, the, those things were just like fucking, like money machines at that point. <laughs> well, Ghostbusters is what prompted Huey Lewis to do the Back to the Future soundtrack. Oh, because Ray Parker Jr., essentially, they uh, used the riff. Uh, for I Want a New Drug. For I Want a New Drug, yeah, yeah for, for that movie. Yeah, so it's like they asked him, they asked uh, Huey Lewis to do a song for Ghostbusters. He said no. Then they just ripped off one of his songs and oh, uh, made really? a bunch of money. So he's like, well, then next time someone asks. <laughs> Fuck it, I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you ever, did you learn to... Did you kind of learn to be more secure as a performer through the years, or do you still feel like the same guy going fuck? No, I I, I feel more secure, and I love working. I'm, I mean, I work quite a bit uh, again in, in films that may never see the light of day, but and I just feel myself getting you know more experienced and and better at it. Uh, so yeah, it feels good. You know, there's always. Um, the first take on your first day is always like kind of like you know I, I do like I don't sleep well the night before I've prepared whatever I've prepared makeup costume the whole thing but um, I don't know <laughs> is it going to work <laughs> and you know is the director going to take Chris you know let's talk about Everybody, you can go ahead. <laughs> I don't know, you know, and you really don't know until you make that initial step, you know, whether it's what they're looking for or not. What's your favorite kind of movie to do? I don't know. I don't know that I have. I don't really think too much about the character I'm going to do, prefer to do, or the kind of movie it's going to be. I hope it's. 
the people are great. We're handling it. And funded well enough that the script is good. Uh, and that I have something nice to work with. I really wanted to see. Did you see the um, Did you see the Funnier Die Gobstopper video where yeah, you did the Eric Willy Wonka? Yeah. Oh, that was Eric Capel, Yeah, because yeah. Paul Shear and a bunch of people, a bunch of our yeah. friends, or a bunch of our friends were in that. I wanted to see that whole fucking movie like that. I just. I would love it. I mean, oh I, you know, I loved doing that. That guy. I loved it. That was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm 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 doing another one tomorrow. <laughs> what are you doing? No, we'll turn these off. What are you doing? Wh- which one are you doing tomorrow? Uh, I'm doing one tomorrow where <clears throat> um, the hoverboard has been invented. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a pitchman for it. Oh, great. And I've got celebrities lined up who are demonstrating it. I'm saying, you know, I'm to be in a suit and tie. Uh, <laughs> And I announced myself, I'm Christopher Lloyd. Back in the day, hoverboards were unimaginable. Here we are. <laughs> Just in time for and 2015. It's, yeah, it's so it, that's gonna be fun. Do you know there's a whole there's a whole kind of online meme about how there's like websites with the countdown clock to 2015. Then we're fucking oh, on, and yet yesterday was November 12th. Yesterday wow. was. The day the clock tower got struck wow. by lightning. Yesterday was November twelfth, so we like there was a big thing online about that being the, the Hill Valley uh-huh. clock tower day. And then in in, le- in less than two years, it will be the day where you guys go back in part two. Wow! So I don't know. Virtually nothing that was predicted in the yeah. movie actually ended up yeah. happening. People tried to make the self lacing shoes that didn't really work yeah. out. They, yeah. they made the hat. You got the yeah, hat's about the only there. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the hat's about the only thing. I think that's about it. <laughs> Cubs still haven't won. No, they haven't. No, they still haven't won. I mean, do you do you write? Do you want to write stuff too? No, you just want no. to act. Yeah, I'm not, and directing. Uh, that's a, that's a whole different sphere. Directing looks shitty to me. Like that doesn't look fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It does not look fun. It, I like I watch, and, and you kind of have to be an asshole to do it. Well, maybe, I don't know if it's you have to be an asshole, but you just you. It's I think what it is is that you have to be confident in making decisions every second of the day. Yeah. Because you are, and not yeah, only are you making decisions, but you're also having to. You're you are the focal point between the performers, the crew, the studio, the producers, like everyone. And it's all riding on your shoulders. And you have to keep all this in balance and manage to keep your vision the way that you want. Uh-huh. Like, the whole thing, just it just sounds not fun at all. Uh-huh. Like, it doesn't sound like... And then there I was, and Spielberg just was running the camera, and I was behind him in the sun. Like you, I think those moments are so quick. But the rest <laughs> of it is just all political shit that you have to deal with. you got weeks of pre-production. Yeah. And then weeks of post-production. I mean... Not my life. No, it's a very it's specific. Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, years it's a it's a very specific muscle that people. I mean, I respect people who can do it. Just uh-huh. to me, it just the process moves so slow, and that yeah. it just doesn't. I remember Zemeckis because he was he had so many questions all day, and about decisions to make. Like like I said, he said one day he said he something like he felt like he'd be pecked to death by a herd of ducks or something. <laughs> something of that effect. You know, like, tell me this. Why do this? Why do this? Well, 
went on to the who should have that. <clears throat> Did Spielberg spend a lot of time on the set? Did he? No. no. Just to tell you, Eric Stoltz was fired. <laughs> <laughs> Here to soften the blow, Steven Spielberg. Hey guys, I didn't see you. Eric Stoltz is out. Have fun. Uh, oh, so delightful that chat. <laughs> he brought ET with him. Yeah. yeah. This little ET comes yeah. out. Go home. <laughs> He'd be there once in a while, but. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Jonah just said that he Spielberg would have E.T. go up to Eric Stoltz and go, go home. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, I love this guy. <laughs> That's how Spielberg should fire everyone. Yeah. How could you be bummed if yeah. you're like, I got fired, but yeah. the creature touched me with his finger. Yeah, but I got a family. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, uh, you know, I, I know you've I know you've done both, but do you do you prefer locking into like a really strong character, or what about you just playing a guy, just a regular guy who is a regular uh, guy? I don't get too much of that. I I, I I do a little bit, like um, because I've reached a certain age, I'm getting a, I'm getting a fair amount of grandpa type guys who are just grandpas. Right. They're not. Grandpa from outer space, or just grandpas, um, which is nice. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I do not. Then again, I don't want them all to be the same, so I try to figure out ways to make each grandpa different. Um, and then I had a film I finished about two months ago, where I'm just very much myself, but I'm deadly. I'm like a an aging leader of a mob and in love with a very young girl. Uh, and, but I'm lethal. I'm fucking lethal. And, and I haven't had that. You know, like, not like uh, Captain Krug, you know, Star Trek. Just the guy. Who's beginning to lose his lose it yeah. his his control of what what is happening around him? And I loved it. I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but it was just nice yeah. feeling, you know. I really feel like you're an actor who a, a really good like an HBO show or like an AMC show. Something someone would go, oh, you like what you just described, mm -hmm. and that people would see a whole different side of you like that. Yeah. And be like, holy shit. And then really remember like, oh yeah, that's because he's a fucking great actor. That's why he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like, you could still play, you could play that guy and play like a really seriously dramatic. Yeah. I, I tended to get more parts like that in the, in the theater actually. All right. I saw just the other day, the movie with, um, I can't remember the title. Sean, Sean and C. I, uh, what was it about? It's about a guy who's discovered he has AIDS, and he's a real, real addict. He lost the actor, lost an incredible amount of weight to play the role. Huh? It's in theaters now? Yeah. Dallas Buyers Club? Hmm? Dallas Buyers Club? 
What's the name of the actor? Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Hey, Dallas Buyers Club. Yes. Good, yeah. Katie. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Right. Katie, she knows her AIDS <laughs> movies. Okay, good. Nice. Oh. Jonah. Huh? Go home. That's great. But he was, have you seen it? Yeah. He's amazing. I just thought, you know, all the time I thought it's like an acting lesson. You know, he's doing the hardest kind of stuff material to do. And he just has moments in it that are incredible. And he's and, he, and I, I just didn't see one false moment all the way through it. Wow. McConaughey. McConaughey. Wow. He just, uh, you know, it's Brando-ish in its, in its depth. And unless I was just... Not seems straight, but I just, I just. <laughs> the reviews have been really good. The, the recent movie oh, have been really yeah, good. Yeah. And also, I heard that I mean, he was great in Mud. I heard he was really good in that movie. Yeah, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that, but just really incredible role, and, and the whole movie is good, and the other people in it. But he just a really, really tough role. That you have to really dig deep to. Do you watch more movies, or are you a fan of TV at all? Do you watch any TV stuff? Not too much. I want to watch news and sports. I surf. Oh, you do? For, for, for I mean, surfing. Oh, I thought you meant surf. I'm sorry, I took that literally. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> well, you're a tall guy. You look like you're in good shape. I could totally, I could totally buy you as a surfer. I could totally uh, buy you as a surfer. Uh, uh, um... If anyone is listening and you're casting any uh, hard-hitting dramas on HBO or AMC, Christopher Lloyd is your guy. So we do get people do listen to the show. Uh-huh. Like it's not it's not crazy that something that could something come could. Out. I'm not saying it's you know. No, I'm available too. I'm <laughs> Jonah. No one no? cares. No. No, sorry, I just thought I'd jump in. <laughs> But there's so much good, you know, since you, since you like, <laughs> since you like independent films, so much of the independent film spirit is, is alive on television right now. <clears throat> yeah. So it seems like there's something, you know, there, there's, there's stuff out there and maybe it's, you know, I, I even wonder if in, in, in cases with actors like yourself, if people just go, oh, he'd never want to do this. So they just don't ask. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Word may have gotten around that I won't do anything. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna uh, next week. Next week, yeah, um, I'm gonna do a, an episode on on Michael J. Fox. Oh, you are! Oh, no series. way! Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Oh, that's that. fantastic! Well, you know, yeah. I think Eric Appel, who directed the Gobstopper Ooh, thing, huh? Eric Appel, who directed Gobstopper. Yeah. Uh, he directed a few episodes of the Michael J. Fox. Oh, show. really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Directing that one. I don't know. It's possible. He just wrapped up another show. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, you guys have done. Uh, you guys have popped up together in a few things, just around anniversaries of the movie, and yeah. of, of the you know, and like DVD uh-huh. releases and stuff like that. And uh, that's fun. Or do you have any idea? Do they? Do you know what you're doing on the show yet, or do you just agree to do it to appear on it? Uh, yeah, he's a he's the new principal of the school <laughs> where his kids go, uh, who's anti-education, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> or he just has a different way of going about it, which is. Um, causing problems. Nice. Doesn't have the right attitude. Nice attitude, fun. <laughs> but kids aren't learning anything. <laughs> oh, man. So sort of, you know, as we're kind of winding down, um, 
you know, kind of looking back, do you sort of feel like, is there anything that you wish you knew then or what did you learn or what did you, you know, when you kind of look back at all of it and, you know, not that it's, you know, there's still a lot more to do, but it, what do you think you've taken away from everything so far? Like, how do you feel when you, when you think back about all the stuff you've done? Um, I feel good. You know, I, I've just, I've really gotten to do some wonderful, uh, wonderful parts and wonderful projects and, and, uh, Far more than I imagined when I started out. I did not, you know, I didn't, I just didn't see it. I wanted it, I wanted to, but I, did, I had no confidence that it was ever going to happen because everybody does. Everybody starts out, oh boy, oh my God, do this and that. And then bit by bit, it sort of came together. And I got to do roles and express myself through them in a way that really meant a lot to me, you know, because that's what, what you're doing it for. You know, you're trying to share your take on things, and I've I got roles where I've had multiple opportunities to do that, so that's fabulous. And I still get, I still do, you know, and so I'm I'm very very happy about that. Is there one character that you feel like, oh, just one more time? I just want to do this guy one more time. Um. Uh, let me see. I don't know. I, I, I've, I did for the stage. I did Death of a Salesman about three years ago, and I like to do it again. I really would, because uh, that's such an incredible, wonderful role. But I somehow the movies. It seems to me that when you do it, it's your best shot. You know, I mean, it's, you do a play. And it might be a classic or not, and you grow into it as you do it. Somehow the movie is like, it, when you do it, each, each scene or each take is the best it's going to be. <laughs> you know, it's not like you get to play it again. But if you, but if like they were to do another movie and something, I mean, do you feel like there's still something and you're like, oh, I'd love to play that guy again? Or do you feel yeah. like once you're done, you're, you, you did it? No, I, the, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd love to do uh, another Star Trek or uh, they were for a long, for about three or four years, they were, after Roger Rabbit, there was constant talk about they were going to do a sequel. And that they were somehow magically, I'd coming back, you know, because I I perished at the end of yeah, the first. Yeah. And I would have loved to do Doom again. I think unfortunately uh, that's just a licensing issue. I can't imagine that. All, yeah, that, that's I can't what, imagine that all the lawyers uh, and all those companies would ever allow that to happen again. That's what I was kind of hearing that you know there was some licensing or getting getting all those cartoon characters. I don't know, but that doesn't seem to be happening. Um, there's a lot of speculation about maybe a movie of Taxi you know <laughs> not now that I know of but that would have been fun have you guys done a, like a cast reunion anytime in the last um, anytime recently well we get together for well I, I did a play in New York um, a few months ago and Danny and Tony and Mary Lou and um, a woman whose name I, what, 
Oh, uh, Carol Kane. Mm -hmm. um, all came to it, and that was cool. That's we, had, cool. we had a nice uh, reunion. And then recently, so it kind of happens when, like, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the Judd Hirsch and Danny doing the... Oh, I Sunshine saw it. Well, Sunshine Boys, yeah. yeah. The posters yeah. are all over town. I haven't yeah. seen the play yet, though. Yeah. Uh, we went to see it, uh, me and my friend, uh, opening night, and it's wonderful. I mean, they're loving doing it, and they're just, it's, it's fun, fun to go see. Someone, a friend of mine, um, some friends of mine produced a comedy festival, and they had, uh, and Danny DeVito came and, and spoke at the comedy festival, I think with James Brooks, and they said that he was fucking hysterical, that Danny DeVito uh -huh. not only has amazing stories, but he has no filters. Like, he'll just say, like, he just tells <laughs> yeah. stories about people and he doesn't give a shit. He just doesn't give a shit. But they're not, not mean, but just funny. Like, yeah, he's just yeah. super, super funny. He has, has a great sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. What were you guys, uh, and I'm sorry if, you're, if you hate this question or if you're sick of answering it, but what, what was happening the whole time that Andy Kaufman was doing all the Andy Kaufman stuff? And it was spinning, you know, outside the show, and he was like pranking the show and pranking the public. And it, did that did that feel like it was getting in the way, or were you cool? Were you cool with it? Um, I mean, a lot of that I think happened before I came on the show, right? Uh, a lot of things, but I just sort of that's what it is. I mean, he seemed like he's he seemed like a really nice guy. I mean, people <laughs> ask me, he's crazy. And I, I don't think he was crazy at all. He just had his own agenda, the kind of comedy he wanted to create that he believed in, and he stuck to it. But he he was serious. I mean, he worked. He'd come in and work. Sometimes he'd be out in his car meditating when he needed to be in, you know, doing wound drills or something. Yeah. But he was very present. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely clearly wasn't crazy. I mean, you can't... Yeah. Everything was so calculated. Exactly. Crazy people yeah. don't have that precise yeah. amount of calculation. No, he's... Uh, I, I, the thing that I'll never forget, um, there was a discussion about while we were rehearsing one day with camera crews and all that on the taxi set, and, the, and there was some kind of discussion that came up about levitating. And and Andy said, "Yeah, I, I could do that because he did a lot of spiritual stuff." And we had a break, and he sat down on this on the stage floor of taxi, got into a yogi, and just composed himself. And we all stood around waiting for <laughs> to levitate. Because he had the balls to sit down there and get ready to do it, to get himself into a levitation zone. And we all waited for him to levitate. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and we maybe thought, well, he's never going to be able to do that, but what the fuck is sitting down there doing it? And we're all watching him. Something's got to happen. And eventually the production manager, whatever, said, we got to go back to work. <laughs> I'll never forget. I mean, that that was Andy, you know. He was being, He just that was it was pretty cool. That was, that, 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 no one committed to things. Yeah, like when that guy committed to something, there was no yeah. there was no breaking it. It was just what a seed. You know? 
Well, this has been an absolute pleasure, and I hope you had a nice time. I did. I, I know did. we made you I talk did. about a lot of stuff you've talked about a million times, but you know we're huge, we're huge fans, and you know we, we tried to we tried not to get too fanboy on you, but we are just thrilled that you're here. I had a delightful time, and I'm what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I should tell people that uh, that uh, you are the voice of the hacker on Cyberchase, which uh-huh. is a, a, yeah. a, a, car, a, a children's cartoon on, on PBS. Um, it's like a ma- it's like a math cartoon. It's like a cartoon about kind of like this cyber adventure team uh, using math, uh, yeah. and you are the villain. And and, and um, the problems come up in each episode that, that are like in the storyline but can only be solved mathematically. And so the, the good characters in it have to think, how do we solve this problem? And, that, and it's something having to do with arithmetic or mathematics. So they get to, the kids watch it, get to see how mathematics could be applied to solve Oh, problems. And that's on. Is that on right now? Cyber, cyber chase on right now? No, they they're sort of a bit in a, an extended hiatus for okay. whatever reason. But it's going to start up again pretty soon. Great. Yeah. All right. So cyber chase, and then anyone, uh, any HBO or AMC or IFC executives who I'm say I'm completely hey, available. No, Jonah. It's not going to be you. <laughs> not, okay. It's just, not going to be I, you. I can be brutal too. <laughs> <laughs> I want Christopher Lloyd on an Emmy-winning drama playing a fucked-up character. If I could, ma- if I could somehow have a hand in that, I will feel like I could check that off a bucket list of some type. And listen, in the Emmy acceptance speech, if you want to say Chris said, <laughs> you know, I don't mean to get ahead of myself here, but when you do win that Emmy for that job that's going to uh-huh. come, you know, just a just a nod or just like a scratch your ear, and I'll know okay. that it's me. I don't know. I've had been this agent I've got for a long time. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe he gives good lunch. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I um, thank. All right, excellent. Thanks, man. Good to see you. Yeah. And enjoy your burrito, everyone. Spectacular. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.